doesn't come from a storm. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Well, good morning, everybody. Christmas is here. I think Drew just said that uh, one more week and we start celebrating Christmas, but I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer. In our house, we've been celebrating Christmas for about two and a half months now. Um, my wife puts up a fall tree sometime around September, mid-September. Those decorations kind of evolve into Christmas around the end of October, and then uh, it goes back to a winter tree sometime in, in uh, January, and, and our goal is that by Valentine's Day, the, the tree comes down. But that gives us about six months of, of just kind of a Christmas-ish celebrations, and so Christmas is, is kind of a big deal. And anybody else, you just love celebrating Christmas and uh, Okay, well, here's the deal. We're, you know, one week till Christmas Day, and everywhere you go, you hear Christmas music now. So whether or not it's your choice or, or not, no matter where you go, the stores that you're in, everybody's playing Christmas music. In fact, um, you can find eggnog and wassail in the supermarkets. Are there any eggnog fans in here? I have found that eggnog is either one of those things that you love or you hate. There's just nobody who's in between. Um, so, probably right now, everybody has made their plans for travel, and people are going to be celebrating together uh, at Christmas time with, with family. There's probably a, an enormous amount of food that is going to be consumed at your house in the course of the next couple of weeks, and there's a lot of reasons why we call this the most wonderful time of the year. One of my favorite parts of Christmas, and I know this is true of my wife as well, we love giving gifts to those that we love. You know, it's just a way to express our, our love to them. And if, at Christmas time, you find the full gamut of gift givers. If, uh, if some of these remind you of your family or your friends, um, here, listen to these. There's a meaningful Melissa. This is somebody who every single gift that they give has some kind of significance or meaning behind it. There is last-minute Michael. This is the guy who literally stops at a gas station on the way to the party to just grab whatever is there. There's Top This Tammy. She's the one who makes sure that everybody sees the gifts that she bought. Do you know those people? There is Cheap Charlie. How many of you guys know there is a big difference between inexpensive and cheap? There's Cold Cash Carl, and everybody loves Carl. And then lastly, there's regifting Gloria. Her motto is what comes around, goes around, right? <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different kinds of gifts during this season at Christmas time, but there truly is one gift that everyone seems to have at the top of their list at this time of the year, and truly not just at Christmas time, but it's something that people want year round through every season. And so this morning, as we continue in our Christmas series, we will unwrap that gift of peace. There's many different views of peace in the world today. Some would think of it as absolutely no noise. And all the parents said, oh, amen. <laughs> There'd be some who would view it as zero conflict. Others would picture it as just the absence of all chaos but there is often this sense that permanent peace is simply not attainable. Well, people want it, and they look lots of places for it. In fact, anything that can provide a sense of consistency or security or comfort in your life, people will pursue those things. And so 
People draw their peace from a bank account or a relationship or a job. But whatever the perspective is, most people view peace as something that comes and goes in different seasons of life. But today, I would like to challenge those perspectives. Because peace does not exist in people or in places or in portfolios. And peace is more than the absence of noise or chaos or conflict. Peace is found in the presence of God. For unto us is born this day, for unto us this child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The Hebrew Bible uses a familiar but significant word. It's shalom. And many people are familiar with this phrase and this, this word. In its purest sense, shalom means peace. The connotation of shalom is a positive one. That is, when somebody says shalom or peace to you, they are not saying, I hope you don't have conflict. They are saying, I hope you do have the richest blessings in life. And shalom was a gift from God. It was one of those gifts that keeps on giving. It's a, a consistent flow of peace from the Father. See, there are those who view peace as coming and going in the ups and downs of life. And when circumstances are good, there's peace. And when circumstances are difficult, there's no peace. But the biblical concept of peace is unrelated to circumstances. And it's much like the joy that we spoke of a couple of weeks ago. You may be in the midst of great trials and still have peace. The Apostle Paul said that he could be content or at peace in any circumstance. James wrote, consider it all joy when you encounter difficulties, trials, challenges in life. See, peace and joy are really like two cords of a rope that are intertwined that hang above circumstances in life. And what wonderful gifts these are. I mean, they truly are gifts of Christmas. Now, this morning, as, as we look at this, it, it's powerfully ironic that the ultimate discourse on peace in all of Scripture comes from Jesus on the night before he died on a cross. He knew what he was facing. And yet he took time in that moment to comfort his disciples with a message of peace. And he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. As you think about the context of his statement, you recognize the incredible peace of God in his life. To be able to say, do not be afraid. As he stood, knowing what was in front of him. See, the presence of Jesus enables believers to remain calm in the most wildly fearful 
circumstances that life can throw at you. It enables them to hush their hearts in the middle of noise, to sing and dance in the midst of suffering. This peace is not a peace that the world can give, and it's never by circumstances. But this peace rules over the world and its circumstances. Have you ever viewed peace as aggressive? Have you ever viewed peace as dominating? Because this is truly the kind of peace that Jesus is speaking of. A peace that controls your circumstances. A peace that dominates your emotions. Not a peace that is a victim, but a powerful, controlling peace. And this is the kind of peace that mankind is truly longing for. It's the peace of God's presence. This morning we're going to look at three kinds of peace that are identified in God's word. And though they are very distinct, they are all bound together in Christ. The first is peace with God. And this is an upward peace. When man is born, he is born into a world that lacks peace with God. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says that we were enemies with God, and everything that we did worked against his principles. But when we receive Jesus Christ, we cease being enemies with God, and we come into a relationship with him, and the animosity is ended because of the gift of Jesus. And that's what Paul meant when he wrote in Ephesians 6, 15, when, when he calls the good news of salvation the preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel is that which makes a man who was at war with God to be at peace with him. And that peace is an objective peace. That means it has nothing to do with you or me and how we feel and how we think. It is an accomplished fact that is based on the cross of Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Christ, their sins are forgiven, the rebellion ceases, the war is over, and they have peace with God. That was God's wonderful purpose in salvation all along. Peace with the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. Colossians 1, verses 20 and 21 says that Christ made peace through the blood of his cross. And it says, although you were formerly alienated from God, yet now Christ has reconciled you through his death. So Paul says, you're no longer enemies, but you're at peace because we have been reconciled. We have been brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is the heart of the gospel message. That Jesus came and he made a way for you to be reconciled to the Father, that you were in right relationship with him, and that you have peace now with God. Now we have to have this peace with God before we can experience the second kind of peace, and that is the peace of God. 
The peace of God is an inward peace, and it's what most people think of when they hear the word peace. It is an emotional sense. It is a feeling. It's this sense of security and order on the inside. And when Jesus said, my peace I give to you, he was speaking of an internal peace of God. He has for you an emotional peace that affects the circumstances in life. In Philippians 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the Greek word that Paul used here for the word guard in this verse is a military term that expresses truly the idea of a soldier who was standing faithfully at his post at a city gate, controlling what went in and what came out of the city. No one entered or exited without his approval. And the Apostle Paul uses this word to describe how God's peace will stand at the gate of your hearts and minds, acting like a guard to control and monitor everything that tries to enter. And when God's peace is ruling over us, nothing can get past that divine guard without its approval. And who doesn't want that kind of guard at the door of their hearts and minds? Controlling what's allowed to enter into your mind, controlling what's allowed to enter into your hearts. Paul says that's what, what peace is. It's a guard over your heart and mind. And in the same way, he wrote in Colossians 3.15, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the word that he uses for rule is a Greek word that he used to describe an umpire or a referee at a sporting event. And Paul uses this word to tell us that peace can also work like an umpire or a referee in your heart and mind. My daughter, Brooklyn, who's not in here this morning, is our youngest and, and our most emotional of our children. And I know that all six-year-olds have emotions, and little things can cause her to um, sing. Little things can cause her to dance. Little things can cause her to cry. But there have been numerous times where she starts crying, and then she says, I'm sorry, I just can't stop crying. I just can't stop crying. I just can't stop crying. And my wife finally says, okay, we're going to set a timer for two minutes, and you can cry for two minutes. And when the timer's done, you're done crying. And here's what I recognize. All of us, I think, have had these times in our lives where we feel these emotions that we just can't stop. I just can't stop feeling angry. I just can't stop being bitter about this. I just can't stop crying. I just can't stop the sorrow. I just can't stop the grief. I just can't stop the emotion. When detrimental emotions try to take control in us, we can let the peace of God rise up deep inside of us like an umpire or a referee to make the call on our emotions. And as we do, it will keep us under control of that divine peace. In fact, Colossians 3.15 could be translated, let the peace of God call the shots in your life. 
Let the peace of God act like an umpire in your emotions and your decisions. Even though it's true that every one of us has hard days, every one of us has difficult weeks, every one of us has challenging circumstances, we do not have to surrender to emotions that try to steal joy, that try to steal relationships, that try to steal victory in our lives. When we feel overwhelmed by these emotions or the problems that seem to be hitting us from different sides, Scripture calls us to take a moment and stop and set our hearts and our minds on Jesus Christ and upon the Word of God. And as you do this, this wonderful, conquering, dominating, supernatural peace of God can rise up inside of you and take control. And so as you look at these two passages that Paul uses to talk about the peace of God, when he talks about this guard and this umpire or referee, Paul presents peace as that which calls out the enemy and says, I see you and I call you out and that is not of God and you are not allowed to pass. And that's what the peace of God is. It's not a, 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 a lack of emotions. It is a dominating, controlling peace of God that says, I see what the enemy is trying to do in my mind. I see what the enemy is trying to allow into my heart. And you will not pass. That's the peace of God that Jesus speaks of. And that is the peace of God that mankind truly longs for. Not a feel-good emotion, but a dominating force. The last kind of peace may take us a short amount of time to cover this morning, but it often takes a long time to achieve. And that is peace with others. See, peace with God is an upward peace. The peace of God is an inward peace, and peace with others is an outward peace. It's a peace between relationships. And this peace of God can provide a stillness in your life when people around you push your buttons. And before we, before we move on from this, we all have to pause and acknowledge the fact that we ourselves have been button pushers in our lives. Can I get an amen on that? It's not something we celebrate. It's just, yes, this is true. We've been button pushers. But there is a peace of God that gives us peace with others in those circumstances and in those situations. We're given strength through this peace because it's one that allows us to rest in the fact that we cannot change someone else, we cannot change their words, and we cannot change their actions. However, we've been given the strength to change what is inside of us and leave the rest up to the Lord. See, peace in relationships does not naturally occur. Conflict naturally occurs. Because conflict is a product of the flesh. Peace is what? It's a fruit of the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.11 tells us that we must seek peace. In fact, the word that he uses here is really a hunting term. We must go after, we must pursue, we must hunt down peace. Peace 
is not something that happens naturally. Peace between relationships must be made. And what's difficult about achieving this kind of peace is that it often requires the challenging work of forgiveness. You may find yourself on either end of an offense. You may be the one who needs to ask for forgiveness. You may be the one who needs to extend forgiveness. Extending forgiveness is not saying that what happened is okay, but rather it's choosing to let go of that wrong. It's choosing to release that offense. And hear me on this. When you do that, you release yourself into God's peace. This is the peace with others that God is speaking of. Because peace with others is really a a two-way street. You've recognized that, right? That if you're to have peace with someone else, you must extend peace and they also must return that peace. It's kind of a meet in the middle kind of a deal. And that is why I love Romans chapter 12, verse 18, when it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I like that. If it is possible, because you and I have met some impossible people. But what are we called to do? Our part. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, offer peace, and you leave the rest to the Lord. And I'm sure that you have had some relationships and some circumstances, and I have had some relationships and some circumstances where we have done what we could do. And that's what God is calling us to here, that we can do our part as much as it is possible, as much as it lies within you, as much as it depends upon you. And even in those situations, when you get to a place where there seems to be no... um, No return on the peace that you have extended. Even in those situations, God offers you a peace that allows you to let go and be released into his peace and to move forward in life. And that's forgiveness. And that is a difficult task, isn't it, at times? It's easy to forgive something that's not personal. It is a long, necessary process when it is personal. It releases you into God's peace to move forward in life. You will have difficult people in your life. You have been a difficult person in your life. But as much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, We're called to seek out peace and to pursue it with one another. So we have this peace with God. We have the peace of God, and we have peace with others. And we have to recognize that this peace is not of ourselves. It does not come from us. It's a gift of God. In fact, many of the oldest manuscripts in Scripture actually use the peace of Christ, where newer versions would say the peace of God. Jesus Christ is the source of peace. 
That's why we say, and rightfully so, that he is a gift of peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. My peace. Here's the secret of the supernatural power of this peace. It's his own personal peace that he extends to you. It's the same deep, rich peace that stilled his heart in the midst of everything that he faced, in the midst of incomprehensible persecution and resistance. Jesus was calm and in control and at peace. Did he have emotions? Absolutely. Do you think that he carried stress? I believe it. Did he know what lay in front of him? Absolutely he did. Did he like the circumstances? No way. But in the midst of that, he was calm. He was at peace because peace is not an emotion. It's strength. And those who were closest to Jesus probably had come to expect this. But you could imagine that those who didn't know him were probably uh, confounded when he stood in front of Pilate so calm and controlled and at peace. And scripture says that Pilate became greatly disturbed. He was furious, actually, that Jesus was standing before him fearless and strong. And Pilate said... Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? And what was Jesus' response? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. That's the kind of peace that Jesus is offering us. It's this trust in God. He's in control. I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to allow my emotions to control my circumstances. It's his personal peace that he extends to you. And as you read through the New Testament, you recognize also that it's the Holy Spirit that is the giver of the peace today. He dispenses it as a gift. In fact, it's called in Galatians 5, a fruit of the Spirit. It's a byproduct of the Spirit of God in your life. It's something that the Holy Spirit does inside of you. And so you might ask, if this is Christ's peace, then why is the Holy Spirit the one who's giving it? Well, Jesus answered that question for you in John 16, 14. He said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take of mine and he will disclose it to you. And I want you to just see this beautiful partnership of the Trinity here, of this peace that we need with God the Father, and Jesus the Son is the one who brings it, and the Holy Spirit is the one who takes that peace of Christ, and he dispenses it to us. And that is why we see, as we read through the New Testament, that it's the Holy Spirit is the one who who is the giver of this peace. Every promise that Jesus made to his disciples on the night before his death was rooted in the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised to them life, and he promised peace to those who were his followers. 
And it was the Spirit of God who took those things and presented them to us. So God's peace is certainly not the peace of this world. And the truth is that it has nothing to do with emotions or environments. The peace of Christ is an unending source of strength in all circumstances. But you cannot experience the personal peace, the internal peace, without receiving the Prince of Peace first in your life. That's how God made us. I want you to understand that. That's how God designed you. The Prince of Peace is the one who brings that into your life. And so when you're looking for all the internal feelings and emotions that mankind longs for, and yet you've never asked the Prince of Peace to come into your life, you're missing something. And people feel that. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to get something and it's not working? You're trying. You want something, but it, no matter what you do, it's not working because you're missing something. And this is the peace that this world desires, and yet they're missing something. They're missing the prince of peace. So my question to you this morning is, what is it that you need to ask of God right now? What is it that you are feeling on the inside? Is there a lack of peace? Because that peace will not be accomplished until there's a surrendering that happens to the Lord Jesus. And I want you to see how things all come back to this. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, You've never invited the Prince of Peace in. There's no way to experience peace that's never been brought into your life because it's not your peace, it's his. But maybe there was a time when you did ask Jesus to come into your life. But you're sitting in this chair today and you're saying, but I sure don't feel peace. This is one of those realities that believers do not like. They do not like to hear because we like to say, I gave my life to Jesus and I've never had any problems since then. But the reality is this. If you're not experiencing peace, you need to look inside and to see if you have actually surrendered your life to Jesus or not. And let's be honest. There are seasons in life. And there are times when you allow him to sit on the throne of your life. And there are times when you push him off because you want to be there. And I will tell you this. If you're sitting on the throne, the Prince of Peace is not there. And so when we want to ask the question, why am I not feeling peace? The first thing that we need to ask is, have I allowed Jesus to really be the Lord of my life? Maybe I invited him two years ago, but have I pushed him off? Have I taken control again? Because that is the whole situation surrounding the peace that we long for. Who's in control? Have you allowed the Prince of Peace to sit on that throne, or are you sitting there? This morning, I want to give you an opportunity, because Jesus wants to give you that peace, and he's here today to do that. What a perfect opportunity. 
And so as we close this morning, I'm going to ask for all heads to be bowed, all eyes closed, because this is a personal decision that people are making with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so without anybody looking around, here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to put him on the throne of your life, to make him the Lord and Savior. Maybe this is the very first time that you've ever prayed this prayer. Or maybe you are sitting in that chair today, and you're saying, I asked him into my life, but then I have tried to take control back over. And I'm not feeling peace. And you need to surrender to him again. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So again, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you could repeat this prayer with me today. You could say, Lord Jesus, I am so grateful for your gift of peace, and I receive it today. I accept that gift of peace into my life. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And I allow you, Prince of Peace, to sit on that throne of my life. I ask you to give me the strength and the peace to follow you all of the days of my life. And it's in your strong and mighty name that I pray this. And everybody said, amen. Listen, this might be new, so I want you to just listen. I'm going to ask you to respond right now, okay? There are some people in this room who just made the most significant decision in their life. There are some people who came back to that commitment to the Lord Jesus. The proper response for a church family is congratulations. And I want to say congratulations. The decision that you made is the most significant decision, not just for you to experience peace, but it's the most significant decision that sets the course of your life. And you made the right one today. If you're sitting in the chair right now and you're saying, why do I not feel peace? Why am I not experiencing that today? What is robbing you of your peace? We have to reflect and just remember as we close here. It's not a trouble-free life. It's God's strength and presence in the midst of life's storms. And one of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's a passage that I have to repeat to myself because for every word that I speak to you today, I listen with human ears because I'm living this same thing. I have to remind myself, God, I want your perfect peace. And so my mind and my heart is fixed on you and I trust in you. And that is the perfect peace that Jesus Christ has for you. You remember the passage, Colossians 3.15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's pleading. Paul is pleading with you to let the Lord's peace do its work inside of you. This is what he says. You have this peace now let it rule. And so I will close with Paul's words today when he says, May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you all of his peace, and may you let it rule your hearts. And all God's people said, Amen.
we remember Jesus and the night before he, the night that he was betrayed, the night before he gave his life, when his disciples, they wanted a battle, they, they wanted a war, Jesus brought peace. See, God conquered the world. He conquered sin through peace. So in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, take and eat. Likewise, after dinner, he took the cup.